We are talking today about friendship. We are supposed to have community together. We're supposed to experience friendship on a deep level. Um, let me tell you where we're going today. We're, we're talking about three main things about friendship, that you were made for friendship is going to be our first point, that our friendship or relationships are broken because of sin, and that Jesus came to redeem our friendships. That, that's where we're going today. And so let me pray, and we'll just jump into our first point. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for friendship and the fact that, that we desire deep community and that you have placed that in our hearts. And so I pray that you would teach us this morning, Lord, by your word and by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So the point number one is you were made for friendship. You were made for friendship. Right out of the gate in the book of Genesis, in the, in the bottom of the, of the first chapter, you'll find this passage in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Isn't it interesting that he is speaking, God is speaking right in the beginning of the Bible in the plural, we were made in the image of God, and God exists in community within himself, in the Trinity. Uh, from all eternity, God has existed relationally. Uh, and so he's a relational God, and part of us being born in his image means that he made us and created us for relationship. Listen to this, uh, this quote from Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. Readers instantly ask the question, who is us? Who is God talking to? One answer is that God is talking to the angels around him. But there's no indication anywhere in the Bible that the angels participated with God in the creation of human beings. Christian theologians of the centuries have seen here an allusion to the truth only revealed after the coming of Jesus into the world, namely that God is triune and that one God has existed from all eternity as three persons, Father, Son, and and spirit, who know and love one another. And therefore, among other things, being created in God's image means that we were designed for relationships. We were designed for relationships. One of the ways that, that we are created in God's image is we were created for relationship, but not only with him in a vertical sense, but we're created to be in relationship with each other. You see later on in that passage, the first thing that God says is not good in all of creation is that man is alone. Look at Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Again, quoting from Tim Keller, he says, so here is Adam created by God and put into the garden of paradise, and yet his aloneness is not good. The Genesis narrative is implying that our intense relational capacity created and given to us by God was not fulfilled completely by our vertical relationship with him. God designed us to need horizontal relationships with other human beings. And that is why even in paradise, loneliness was a terrible thing. You know, we see that even like throughout literature and art when you think of a person being alone, at least for a long, long period of time, it's never shown really in a positive light. Uh, there was a movie in 2000 with Tom Hanks, um, and in that movie, he was shipwrecked on an island all alone, 
And if you remember, he had one companion, which was a volleyball. Uh, he cut his hand when he had only been uh, on the island for a short period of time. He cut his hand and he, he hit the volleyball or touched it and his bloody handprint went on the ball. And he picks it up and he kind of carves a little face. And he's only been on the island for a few days. And so he makes a little face and puts it there, you know, and starts talking to it. And it's kind of a cute little thing at the beginning. But after he's been on the island for years and years, uh, things tend to change. And we have a, a clip here that shows what that looks like. So that movie is Castaway. I don't know if uh, you can tell, but I don't think it's been a really healthy thing for him to be alone all those years with just the volleyball as companionship. So we're, we're not designed to be alone. It's not, it's not good for us. It's the first thing that God said is not good. Now, I do want to take a brief aside here, especially in light of all the, the college students we have here and the singles that attend our church. You, you notice that he doesn't say it's not good for man to be single. He says it's not good for man to be alone. Yes, the institution of marriage is created in Genesis chapter 2, but even those of us that are married, we have special an intimate relationship with our spouse, but all of us experience friendship on multiple levels um, apart from marriage. And it's loneliness that is considered to be not good. So uh, Paul, Apostle Paul affirms again that, that singleness is a good thing. In fact, Paul says, I wish everyone were single as I am, uh, as, as a great thing. And many of us are called to singleness for a season or a lifetime. So I just want to point that out that marriage is a wonderful friendship and a deep abiding friendship, but God calls us to multiple levels of friendship. So God created us for relationship and friendship on all of these levels, but it doesn't take long for all of us once we enter into, these, into this world of relationships and experiences to realize that the consequences of sin uh, wreak havoc on our relationships and on our friendships. Because then that leads us to point number two, that sin breaks relationships. Uh, I'm going to read again a portion that, that Caleb read this morning from Genesis 4. So Cain, again, was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And he had this experience with his brother Abel, where his uh, sacrifice was not honored by the Lord. And Abel's was, and he got so angry that he murdered his brother. And then we pick it up in, uh, in verse 8 of Genesis 4. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, and I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now I want to point out just a couple things from this passage that are so interesting is Cain does not honor the relationship that he has with his brother. And he says, uh, I am not my brother's keeper in verse nine. Am I my brother's keeper? He denies his relationship. He denies the friendship that he's supposed to have with his brother. And ultimately, right, he, he kills his brother, which is the worst possible outcome that he can have 
in a, in a relationship like that. And so his punishment, he says later on, is greater than he can bear because God banishes him. He banishes him from his presence, and he banishes him from the rest of the community that was there. And so it's interesting that right after Genesis 1, we're just in Genesis 4, and already someone, the, the third human being on the earth, has been sent back to what is not good, right? He's sent back to being alone. He is separated from that community. Uh, we, we see this kind of punishment even in prisons today. Solitary confinement, separating you from all your relationships and placing you alone is considered like the harshest punishment in prison, that you would rather be around other thieves and murderers and people in prison with you than be alone in that environment. It's kind of telling that we are created for relationship. We need that, but sin breaks it. Many of us have experienced relational banishment, haven't we? Maybe you're estranged from family members or friends. Maybe someone that you love deeply has ghosted you, and we enter into this ourselves, don't we? We experience this kind of separation. You know, it's, it's not a surprise that relationships are broken. It's actually a miracle that any relationships survive. Uh, Tim Keller, again, in the, in the book Meaning of Marriage, really goes into depth about friendships and what, what causes a friendship to happen. He says there are three things that we really need to have to have a friendship, that we need to have constancy, transparency, and a common interest. That there's something, the constancy, continuing to, to be there for somebody, this transparency that we would be real with each other, and that we have something in common. There's something that holds us together, and yet those things don't last so often in our lives, do they? Sometimes our, our, our interests change. I mean, how many of us have the same relationships that we had in junior high? You know, those, those have a hard time going from junior high to high school or from high school to college. You're, you're, you don't have the constancy. You don't have... Uh, the, the same interests. You don't have the same thing that's driving you and driving that relationship. And besides all of that, sin enters in, our brokenness enters in, and makes those relationships difficult. Even the disciples experienced this. Do you remember James and John were constantly vying and, and went to Jesus and said, put us at your right and your left. And then what happened to the other disciples? They were griping among themselves. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you see over and over again the disciples kind of arguing with each other because their own pride, their own things within themselves made them seek position above the others and, and position above friends. We see brokenness in relationship with Joseph as his brothers threw him in a pit and were going to kill him, and then they sold him into slavery. We see broken relationships uh, with Paul and Barnabas when they're on the mission trip, and they, they can't get along because they have a disagreement, and they separate. Uh, David's sons constantly battled, and one killed the other, uh, constant brokenness of relationship. It's all through the Bible. Friendships are difficult because of this. We even see this picture of Jesus who experiences deep friendship, right? He had the 12, but who was he really close to within that group? Do you remember? He was often pulling aside Peter, James, and John, and he would separate them. He had his own little clique, the guys he was close to, and yet at his very darkest hour, what happened? He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and three times he went and, and woke them up and said, can you not sit with me just one hour? He was getting ready to go to his death, and they just couldn't even stay awake. They couldn't be there for him in his greatest hour of need. And in response to that, he said, you know, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. 
we're broken and we're weak. And the good news is, even in our weakness and in our brokenness, that Jesus came. That's the third point. That Jesus came so that we could experience true friendship. He came into this world to bring transformation. Look at John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus enters the world, and he dies for his friends. He calls us his friends, and he pulls us into his family. Right, that intimate relationship and an intimate friendship with God. And he makes friendship for us an experience that, that, that transcends our brokenness. And he does it in a couple ways. One of the ways he does it is we have a common interest that is of eternal consequence. Remember, I said you have to have constancy, transparency, and a common interest. When you know the Lord, you have a bond, with other people. You meet another believer from somewhere. It doesn't matter age and stage. It doesn't matter about socioeconomic differences. It doesn't matter about uh, what country you're from. When you meet another Christian, there's instantly a bond there because we share one of the most intimate things, right? We have a relationship with the living God, and we, that gives us a connection. I have a picture of some friends of mine uh, that I have known for several years. Sorry, it's a little, little blurry there. Um, down front is Carlos. He's from Brazil. And then there's Cammie, uh, my wife, and me. And then my other friends uh, are, one is a couple from San Diego, another guy from Sao Paulo, and over there on the far right is my friend Nader from Egypt. Okay? We, all of us have done ministry at different levels, vastly different cultures, Egyptian, Brazilian, San Diego. Come on. Very different uh, in the way that we live and move. And yet, I love these men, like my, my very soul. I mean, they're, they're so important to me and precious to me. I mean, I would die for them. I would. And the bond that we have comes from our love of the Lord. It comes from our pursuit of him and his kingdom. And that is an eternal bond that can pull all of us together. We can also tap into God's power to be our brother's keeper. Uh, because of what Christ did and the fact that he is transforming and reshaping us and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we now have the ability to be the friend that Cain couldn't be. Listen to this from 1 John uh, chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's interesting that he brings this up now, that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed 
and in truth. He alludes, it's the same writer, he alludes back to Jesus saying, I lay down my life for my friends. And he gives us the ability, as we appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can enter into that same thing. We can love our brother and lay down our life for each other. That's what he calls us to do. But in order to do that, we have to die to ourselves. True friendship is inconvenient. When we walk in his power and strength, we can experience a little taste of the new heavens and new earth. You know, even though we have the ability now, because of what Christ did, to be a true friend, sometimes we fail in that, don't we? Sometimes we're not the friend that we know we should be or that we even know we can be because of the way that God is redeeming and shaping and empowering us. But when that happens, not only do we fail to be the friend, but sometimes even our Christian brothers and sisters, like we mentioned before, they fail to be our friend. But Jesus is the perfect friend because, I think because he's God. He doesn't have the same failings that we do, the same weakness that we do. And even when our friends let us down, uh, when the horizontal relationships that we have fail us, our vertical relationship with our Lord and Savior comforts us and comes to us, uh, and it's still there when we abide in his love. Apostle Paul experienced this. Towards the end of his life, he's writing his letters to Timothy, uh, one of his disciples, and he says this, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him to you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Capris at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. And at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, that all, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You know, we like Paul are going to be let down at times. We're going to be deserted, even by our Christian brothers and sisters at times. And though it shouldn't be that way, um, that our friends should be here, just as Paul's friends should have been there for him. But when they weren't, Christ was there. And Christ carried Paul, and he will carry us. I want to close with this scene from the Lord of the Rings. It's right at the end. If you know, there's a beautiful friendship in that story between Frodo and his friend Samwise Gamgee. And Sam and Frodo are at the very end, and there's no, there's no strength left, and it seems like everything is going to fail and in that moment Sam is the kind of friendship that has is the kind of friend that Christ is to us. So let's let's watch this clip together. You know, Sam is the friend that we all long to be, but he's a good picture of who Christ really is. He's the friend who carries us when nobody else does. And he's our big brother. 
He's the big brother who keeps us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you are the perfect friend and that you empower us, Lord, to be the kind of friend that we need to be, that we can't be on our own because of our brokenness and sin. And Lord, you call us to be the church, that this is the place that we sang about earlier in the service where it says, they will know we are Christians by our love. Lord, that the way we love each other is a testimony uh, to the world. That this is the place where true friendship is, uh, where we can live in deep community with each other. Uh, And so, Lord, we pray for you to empower us, to forgive us when we fail. And we thank you again that you are the perfect friend in Christ's name.